Well, it's great to see you and to worship with you, Providence. Hope you've had a great week. If you brought a, um, with you a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, uh, we're going to actually go from um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, all the way to chapter 4, verse 16, uh, at least reading it. And, uh, but it is great to see you. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If you don't have one at home, please take that Bible home with you as a gift. We would love for you to have that. If you're a guest here at Providence, welcome. We're thrilled that you are here. Uh, we would love to meet you. Um, and, uh, and if you are at home or, uh, or in the amphitheater, uh, we're so glad that you also have uh, joined us as well. But uh, it is great to see you. This is an amazing text, and it's totally transformational. And so I'm uh, really excited about it. I've, uh, and this is the third time, right? And so um, and so, uh, but anyway, let's, let's pause though and pray because the power is with him. Okay. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you, uh, the author of faith, the creator of all things, our judge. We thank you, God, that there is a peace in knowing you. And we confess to you, Lord, that there's tremendous tension in our soul when we don't. And so I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes and help us to see great things in your word. I pray that you would help us to believe what we read to understand what it means, what it says, but also to apply it to our life. And God, I just pray for those who are here today who, whose life is um, just in a really, really hard place. And um, in particular for those that maybe even are in a hard place and, and not um, certain that they know you or, or perhaps they know that they don't know you as Savior and Lord and they're just exploring these things. I I pray, Father, that you would speak to them and that you would encourage them today. And so I uh, ask that you would speak through weakness and you would bring glory to Jesus Christ alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1936, there was this amazing um, uh, ship. Her, her name was the Queen Mary. Uh, she was um, set out in 1936. And at the time, she was perhaps the most awe-inspiring vessel um, in the ocean, uh, in the whole world. Um, after 1,001 ocean crossings, she was retired in 1967. She's now a hotel. This, in fact, uh, where she's at right now, uh, that's actually a view. Uh, you can book a room uh, for a night there, uh, which, would be, which would be cool, I'm sure. But, but, um, but when this boat was retired, um, uh, there was a lot of work that uh, that it needed after all those years at at uh, sea and and uh, and one one of the things which uh, which I guess took place totally unexpectedly um, was that when they lifted up the three smokestacks to place them onto the dock so that they could do maintenance on the dock uh, is that they began to crumble and what we're we're told is that um, uh, unknown to them at the time is that the heat and moisture of that salt air for all of those years on the ocean had actually turned that inch thick steel that, that was first put on those things into enormous pockets of rust. And after all those years, uh, about the only thing that was keeping them upright, even though they look beautiful, was 30 coats of paint. <laughs> you know, the same thing can be true of life, isn't it? As you think about your life, you think about my life, you think about the people who are here, it's a really good chance that we look better and healthier than we really are on the inside. And Jesus spoke to this very same thing to the people who went to church a lot in Matthew chapter 23. 
This is what he says to them. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy. What we find in our text here is a plea for us to grow in Christ. There's a verse in here that actually says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's an amazing passage that speaks of the fact that our life has to bear witness to the truth that we say that we believe. And when they do, God is worshiped. You see, whenever we don't live worthily of the calling to which we've been called, though, we stymie our own worship. And there's a real possibility that we stymie and hinder the worship of others. When they look at our life and they see a great discrepancy between what we say is true and how we live our life. And so what you find in this passage is after laying out the truth of the gospel for two and a half chapters, he wants to lay him down and say, now look, we've got to walk this out. We've got to grow so that our lives bear witness to this truth so that when people observe our life, they say, well, that looks like a trade up and not a trade down. I absolutely believe that the Lord orders the kind of life that is pleasant and praiseworthy. You see, as we aim to carry out our mission as a church family, to glorify God by introducing all peoples to Jesus Christ and then to grow them up to love and worship him, we have to understand and we cannot forget that people are going to want truth to build their life upon, but they're also going to want a sincere model to follow. There's a man, his name is um, David Hume. He was a secular philosopher back in the 1700s. And he used to go and hear the sermons of uh, John Brown. One time he was accused of being a hypocrite because the things that he was espousing of an atheistic worldview. Why would you go and sit under the preaching of a man who's preaching that there is a God? It's interesting. His response was this. I don't believe all that the man says, but he does. And once a week, I like to hear a man who believes and lives out what he says. So today, what I want to encourage us as we even think about our strategy as a church family, as we seek to introduce, grow people up to love and worship him. There's four pods that we've talked about. The importance of connecting people to Christ and to the church of helping each one of us to grow in truth and love. And then with the growth that we have in being connected to Christ and each other, to take what we have received and to serve other people, not only within the church, but in our own community. And then eventually to take this message of the gospel that's transforming our lives, not only to our own community and city, but to the nations of the world to say, this is true. And so this idea of grow becomes critically important. And in our series this summer on a life of worship, we started with the work of God and the worth of God, which you have to understand is all of life is intended to be a joyful and sacrificial response to this. So everything that we're doing next week, it'll be on marriage. And the week after that, it'll be on friendship. And the week after that, it'll be on kids and parenting. The week after that, celebration and resting and working. Because all of these things are intended to be leveraged, to be a platform to worship him, but also to help other people to worship him. And so what I want to do today is to show us the path of growing mature that we find in this passage. 
that has as its target the glory and worship of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In a few minutes, I'm going to read the next 16 verses. But let's look at these verses. And the one dominant truth that I want you to see in these verses is this, is that God desires that we pray for growth as an act of worship. That we pray for growth. You see, one of the things you're going to find in life, if you haven't learned so already, is the power to grow mature in Christ does not reside in you. You don't have it. It You don't come equipped with that. You have to be connected to the vine and the vine is Jesus Christ. He has the power and he's promised it to those that will pray. So notice how he starts. He says, for this reason, for this reason. In other words, you have to go backwards for understanding before you can go forwards. And what he's saying in the first two and a half chapters is simply this. He's addressing the human problem. And what he says there is basically this. He's teaching that the heart of the human problem is the problem in the human heart. He said, if you really want to know why everything is broken, you got to look in the mirror. This is where the problem actually began. You see, we were all created in the image of God to be near God and have a relationship with God. And then we sinned against God and we severed that relationship with him. Being cut off from the source of every good thing, every bad thing and evil thing began to rush and flow out of our heart. Humanity was sort of like the toy that's broken the day after Christmas. God created all things to be good and all of a sudden we sinned against God and not only we, but the whole world was broken. Nothing we could do could fix it and so God chose to fix it himself and he says, this is how I'm going to do it. And he promised and then he delivered on his promise. And that was to send his own son. So Jesus came from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin. He was born, lived on this earth. And for just over three decades, he lived without sin. And then because of his great love for us, he chose to walk and to lead himself to a cross where he was crucified in order to pay the penalty of my sin and your sin, and the sins of the world. Jesus was then put into a grave, and three days later, he rose from the dead. People saw Jesus resurrected, and he extended an invitation to them and to us, to all generations, and that is this, that if you would believe in me, Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord, If you would trust not in your good works to bridge the gap between you and God, but you would trust in Jesus' accomplishment on the cross and his righteousness that he satisfied the wrath of the Father that was directed toward us. 
If you would trust that, God says this, I will forgive you of all your sin. I'll give you all my son's righteousness so that you are righteous before my eyes. There'll be nothing separating us. That relationship will be totally bridged. I'll also place you into a new family. And then he says this, it's amazing. He says, and I'll give you power to live a new kind of life. And when Paul starts thinking about the power to live a new kind of life, all of a sudden he gets really excited. And even though because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he's sitting in a Roman prison cell. He has faith enough to envision what would take place if God's power was literally poured out upon a church, a group of believers in Ephesus. And so he writes them a letter called Ephesians. And in there, he tells them what he's praying for them. Motivated by hope, he says, look, I realize that God's power can literally run circles around my capacity to even ask for that power. That's why he says that he's able to do exceedingly more than all we can ask or imagine. I'm going to ask him for something, but it's so small in comparison to what he can do. It's almost embarrassing to have to ask what I'm going to ask anyway. And this is what I'm asking for you. I'm asking God that he would give you power, that the weather front of God's power and the weather front of God's love would literally collide as a perfect storm in your hearts and that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I'm praying that you would have enough strength to be able to comprehend the vast unsearchable love of God for you. Because when these two weather fronts collide in the heart of a person that's made in the image of God, absolutely amazing things take place. Maturity takes place. The fullness of God is seen in that person's life and how they treat people, how they think, how they sing, how they love, how they lead. And this is what he says is available to us. You see, every single one of us, we pay attention to the gas gauge, don't we? Without even thinking about it, we trust it. You can't see the gas level within your car. It's not an invisible tank next to an invisible shell and invisible frame where you can just look out. Oh, I got about half. No, you trust that some engineer put a gauge there. And when you look at that gauge, it gives you an indication of what you can't see somewhere else. It's the same thing with spiritual maturity. You and I can come up with all kinds of things so that you and I can think that we're mature or assign maturity to someone else. But there's literally one gauge for spiritual maturity in the whole world. And the gauge is this, is, is the fullness of Christ's character at lie, fully alive and awake within your life? No matter how many Bible studies you go to, if the fullness of Christ's character is not in your life, you still have room to grow. You see... The amazing thing about Jesus is he's the embodiment. He's the perfection of everything that we love. The fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you ever thought that Jesus is the perfection of every one of these ideas, these words? He is peace. He is patience. And so when we're growing mature, 
when we're bearing witness within our life of the authority and the integrity of what we say that we believe is the metric that we have to use is the character of Jesus Christ in us. He's the standard bearer. He's the plumb line of all maturity. If you are not like Jesus, you're not mature is what he's saying. And yet somehow we tend to settle for metrics of maturity that ignore the character of Jesus. This is why within the church, it's so easy to get confused to the point that we confer maturity upon people who are publicly charming and scripturally astute and regularly involved, even though behind the scenes they can be impure and stingy and selfish and deceptive and abrasive and emotionally frozen. Maturity is being like Jesus, period. That's it. So if we don't look like him, we've got room to grow. You say, well, how do we know? Well, usually it happens when you get squeezed. We're like, more like a ketchup bottle than a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff in us, right? When you get squeezed, what comes out? When you go through temptation, stress, anxiety, trial, what comes out of your mouth? How do you treat people? How do you think? Is it like Jesus? To the level that it is, the Bible would say, to that level, you're mature. And to the level that it's not, it would say, we all have room to grow. See, the fact is, is every single one of us are broken. If you walked in and you say, all these religious, perfect people around here, and then on, then there's me. No, you're in great company if you're broken. Every one of us could have tattooed on our forehead, construction still in progress, right? That's, that's us. We're, we're not there yet. We have not arrived. But listen to me, if we're not careful, we will be tempted to invest more in socially assumed appearances of godliness more than godliness itself. It's always easier to put on a godly mask than to be a godly man or woman. But you have to understand, you see, we have to run. We have to take our brokenness to Jesus. Our mission to worship Jesus is simply too important not to do this. You see, we as a people cannot afford being like that restaurant that has cool lighting and cool pictures on the walls and yet has a health record rating of 65. You know, it doesn't matter when people come in here and they look around and they go, wow, they got cool lights in the back. Look at those little pillars of things back there. That's really cool. And then to have a health rating of our personal interaction with one another of a D minus. We have to pray that God's power will be poured out in our hearts so that we can grow. You see why it's so vital? It's because verse 21 tells us that Christ's fullness in us is the only thing that brings worship to him in the church. It's to his glory that we do this. So if our worship is a response to the worth and work of God and God's work has made available maturity, then to pray for maturity is one of the aspects of worship. See, I don't know if you're like me, but there's many times when I look at my life and I look at the church and I look at the world and I say, God, I so desperately want to see something that demands a supernatural explanation. 
I want to see something take place in my own life and in Providence that I see within Scripture where you got a hold of somebody and that weather front of power and love collided upon a person or upon a people. And all of a sudden you did something not only in them, but you literally changed the city in which they were walking through. I want you to know that that power is available to us today. But it's only available to the church that will give itself to pray. We've got to pray. You see, the reason that the majority of our time is spent not praying is really two reasons. Number one is because we simply do not believe in its power. And number two is because we do believe and trust in the charisma and plans of man. Don't you want to do something? Don't you want to see God do something at Providence? That has to be explained more than we have smart pastors. Creative people. I know I do. And so what do we have to do? Two applications for this point. First is let's pray for power to grow in character. I encourage us to pray dependent prayers. Prayers like, God, I need your power today. Left of my own, I'm going to be like yesterday. I'm going to respond to stress and temptation poorly. You are the vine and I'm the branch. I can't do anything without you. Would you pour out your power in my heart so that I can see, understand your love? Which is the second thing. is Let's pray for help to comprehend his love. Now I'm not talking about, maybe I should, I use the word comprehend here because that's the word that Paul uses. But I also think there's a measure of comprehension that talks about enjoyment. See, there's a lot of people in here because we're biblically astute people. There's a lot of people here who spend a lot of time in Bible studies that you could recite the tenets of your faith and they would be orthodox and true and right. But for some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we've been happy about those truths. Maybe it's been a long time since we felt like singing about those truths or we literally started laughing because we couldn't believe these things are true. The emotions stirred when we think about the love of God. It's like, wow, I can't believe that. You see, you and I, we become like what we admire. But we cannot admire anything until we see it. So the Bible tells us repeatedly to rehearse the gospel to yourself, to read a track to yourself. To sit down with a friend and say, you share the gospel with me and relish it. And then let me share it with you. See, we have to rehearse it, but before we can rehearse it in joy, we have to actually ask God to say, would you be merciful enough to open up my cold heart to allow me to rejoice in these things again? And so providence, we have to pray if we're going to grow. That's where the power's at. Because he did pray, and he knows that they know now that he's been praying for them, he turns the corner. And look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he starts here. Well, actually, there's one dominant truth for this section as well. And it's this, is that God desires that we pursue growth as an act of worship. Oh, we need to be praying, but we also need to be praying, believing that God's going to answer that prayer. And now we need to go about living our life in a certain kind of way that literally builds maturity. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And then in this text, he gives three applications for how to do that. But each of these applications has two assumptions. The first assumption is that we're going to be connected to a local body of believers where, who, who will be praying for us and loving us to where this maturity is not happening on an individual level, but a corporate level. But then second, and this is where it kind of gets hard, okay? So move your toes back. It's for us to apply these three applications in our life. It's going to demand that we have more passion to grow mature than to stay young. We just have a hard time with that because we all fear dying. Yesterday, I went to CVS Pharmacy. My son had got a sunburn the day before, so I went to buy something that might kind of soothe him. And I don't, I don't, I don't go to CVS, but never. I don't ever go to, to pharmacy. That's, that's normally Tabitha that helps with that. And so it took me forever to find it. But because I was just walking up and down the aisles. You know, I'm just looking, I'm like, where, where, how would you find something? And what, what, what I was absolutely convinced of is we have a passion to stay young. There are so many products that are going to help us look young. And with the saddest part of the whole thing is everyone's losing, right? We're, we're all getting older. It doesn't matter what you do. You're, we're all getting older. You know, and of course, Paul's passion here is not that, you know, I mean, I'm not, he's not saying, you know, don't dye your hair. You know, I mean, I dye my hair gray so that you think I'm wise, right? But, <laughs> but, but, uh, but he does say this to us in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. So, you know, there's an appropriate time to talk like a child and think like a child and reason like a child. And it's when you're a child. But when you behave that way and you're an adult, it's not very appropriate. 
And for all of us, even if you're a kid here, I would just say, look, if you're a kid, this is your time, right? You get to, you get to do what no one else can do, and one day you won't be able to do either. Right? There, there, is a, there is a specific time when it's appropriate and cute to walk around in, in your underwear holding two handfuls of animal crackers, right? And your parent take pictures, woo, look how cute he is, and all, you know, right? But it doesn't take you very long when that's not appropriate anymore, right? <laughs> You wait 20, 30 years and you start doing that and people think this is not right. This is not healthy. And this is what Paul's saying. He goes, there's a time that even for us as kids, you can look forward to the day when, you know what? One day I'm not going to do this because I'm not going to be a kid anymore. I'm going to grow up. And so what does he tell us to do? First is let's seek unity in the body of Christ. To seek unity in the body of Christ. He says this in the first six verses. He says, you know, think about this for a second. He goes, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father of all. So if we're going to walk in a manner worthy and seek to represent this God and this faith, how can we do so by being two? By being divided. By being fractured in our relationships with one another. You see, I keep touching on unity not because we have this enormous problem at Providence. In fact, I just commend you. you. As a church family, it really has been an amazing year of tremendous unity. And the fact is, is we enjoyed a tremendous amount of unity for years and years and years and years and years at Providence. You say, well, how can you keep bringing it up? Well, there's really two reasons. One, because the Bible keeps bringing it up. But the second reason is this. It's because unity is unlike a statue. You see, a statue is something that's carved out of rock and then it's completed so that it's admired. Unity is less like a statue and it's more like a garden that needs regular watering to counteract the dryness of our unpredictability and our selfishness and our sin. And so let me just ask you this question. Are you in any broken relationship here at Providence? And if you are, let me ask you this question. Does that relationship lie broken because of your pride? See, one of the most challenging things, sometimes it's irritating. I'll just be totally honest with you, okay? Sometimes God's way, I just, I wish it was the other way. Sometimes it's just not, right? But God's way says this. If you have one person here and one person here, then a friendship with one another, and all of a sudden it breaks, something goes wrong. Oftentimes, the person over here says, well, you know what? They harm me. I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. And when they change and they repent and they come back to me, then, then we'll reconcile. Because I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. I'm the mature one. They're the immature one. What the Bible tells us is this. The Bible places the responsibility of who takes the first step towards reconciliation to the person who thinks that they're the most mature among the two. How can you ask the less mature person to do what the more, more mature person won't do? So he says, if you're in a broken relationship, is it because of your pride that you're just unwilling to go? Now, it may be, no, that you've tried and you just need to wait for God to work in your life. But the point is this, is Christ's body cannot grow while it's fractured. So we've got to constantly be pursuing unity every day, every week. The second thing he talks about here is let's serve the body with our gifts. Verse 7 tells us that grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I love the 
portrait that he pulls out of Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. He likens Jesus to a Roman general that's just come back from war as a conquering hero. And he's on, on top of a wagon. He's got the spoils of war under his feet and feet. And, and, and all of his captives are chained behind him. And next to him on both sides of the road is all of, the, all of his people who can't wait to see him. And they're celebrating and they're honoring him. And what he's doing is instead of assuming himself as the one who should receive, he becomes the gift giver. And he reaches down and he's taking the spoils of war and just throwing it out to the people. Christ did that when we came to him in faith. He's given you a gift. And that gift is specifically designed to build up the church. You are not an accident in this body. God gave you a gift. But he also gave you leaders. It says here in verse um, 11 that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so... The point here is, is this. When in the church, each one of us has gifts. We have leaders that are seeking to utilize and mobilize and organize these gifts and train people up and encourage people to use their gifts. What happens is we become, it says, like a mature man to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So Paul pictures Jesus as this mature man. And then he looks over at the church, which is the body of Christ that resembles the mature man, but not perfectly. It's more like this shaving picture of a father and a son, right? Where there's great resemblance. And yet one of them shaved with a spoon and there's no facial hair, but he's becoming more like his dad. And this is exactly what he has in mind. That it's you and I, as we utilize our giftedness for the body, that this body, which is intended to be the body of Christ, to resemble the mature man, Jesus, day by day, we're being conformed to the likeness of the son. So are you used, are you attempting, I should say, to utilize your gifts here at Providence? You know, it's never too early and it's never too late. You know, this summer we had people for the very first time in their whole life they went on a mission trip and some of them were 10 and we had some go and they were 80. It's never too early and it's never too late. The third thing he says is let's speak the truth to the body in love. He says this in verse 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way. You see, we need truth. John eight says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, truth is kind of like the rudder on a boat that gives it direction at sea. The thing you need to know about maturity is this, is Christ's body does not grow mature by thinking thoughts about Jesus that are untrue. This is why even our unity in verse 13 demands a unified knowledge of who the son of God actually is. You see, he's only worship when we ascribe worth to who he really is. And he's given us a book to tell us who he really is. And so we have to live our entire life with this book being open where we live our life, we, we, we handle our relationships, our responsibilities, we use our gifts and we have this book open and we're just asking, God, would you give me direction? Help me to understand more of who you are and more of who I am. We also need to be people of love. The reason is because 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If we only have knowledge as a people, we only become arrogant. 
But with truth as a rudder, love becomes a propeller that allows us to build people up according to their needs. And the coolest thing is, where does this exchange of truth and love take place? He says in verse 16, it takes place at the joints. That you are a member of the body, and you're a member of the body, and yet we're a member of one body. And each of these parts of the body, they intersect at pivotal places called joints. They're called relationships within the body. This is why every single church not only has big group stuff, but they also look to have smaller group stuff. Where you can know somebody, and here at Providence, we call those life groups. It's not the only place, but it's a primary place where we've sought to organize so that you can connect with people in truth and in love. You know, there's over 400 members of Providence that are not involved in a life group, nor are they serving at that hour. They come in this room and then they leave. And you need to know that you're missing out. And so are we. Because you need us. We need you. We all have a part to play to grow mature. You see, Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In Providence, this is our hope. This is our mission. That we want to proclaim the gospel about Jesus Christ in the hope that not only that we will stand before Christ one day and be found mature, but that we are able to make disciples while we're here on this earth and equip them and bring maturity into their life and to be praying for them so that God's power would work in their life, that they too would be found mature in Christ. This is what we're all about. And to this end, you guys know that we started Vision 220 18 months ago. The intent was for two years to leverage everything that we have, including our time, our resources, our leaders, our leadership training, in the hope that we can build a base so that we can prepare for ministry for the next 20. And four weeks ago, as part of that vision, not the whole vision, but part of it, we as a church family, we agreed, we voted to expand this worship center and to finish the east parking lot. For a cost, it is, it's a lot. It's about $7.5 million, 7.75, I think. And you know, because of generosity over the last 18 months, there's almost $4.5 million, so actually a little bit more than that now, that's been saved up towards that leaving just over $3 million. And so if you've been, not heard this yet, it means you have not been here in a month. But, but uh, so welcome back, right? Um, but for most of you, you've heard me talk about this, is what, what we're asking you to do, right, is not to fill out a card and it's not to give. That's not the first thing that I'm asking. What I'm asking you to do is that you would pray. And if God inclines your heart to do, to give, then we would ask you to fill out the card that's in your little handout right now. And the only reason that we would ask you to fill that out, it's not to bind you to anything. It's to help us to know how to plan of knowing if or how much we need to borrow come August. And so I would just ask you to consider these things. There's two sides. There's one side for those that have already pledged and have been giving for 18 months and plan to give up to 24 months. And we're just asking you to extend it six more months to July of 2017. And then the second side is for those who either weren't here when we first pledged 18 months ago, or who were but felt compelled that God wasn't saying, this is what I want you to do. We're just asking you to take it back to the Lord and say, God, would you have me to give at this time? And I would just ask you, I'm saying this again, because next Sunday is the Sunday when those are due. I say due, when we're asking for them to come in. And then the following Sunday, the first Sunday in August, is when we'll share with you what has been pledged. 
But I would urge you to consider this in our praying and our giving, our commitment to one another as we expand this worship center. Don't forget why we're doing all this is to proclaim him and to grow everyone up to maturity in Christ. So to that end, we pray. So if you would, join me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and your love to us. We're amazed at the mercy that you pour out to us, that we can grow, that we can actually experience relationships, or that we can manage and handle the stress of this broken world in a different way because we are recipients of a different kind of power, your power. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church family, Father, not only to enjoy the truth, but God, that you would also help us to live that truth and to bear witness in our life that which we confess with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and the life that he orders is a good one. Not always free of pain, but always with your presence. So we ask for help as we give now and Lord, of our resources, as well as our singing, we pray, Father, that you would address our heart with anything that's been said, God, that you would use it, God, to or bring about endurance, motivation, or repentance, or whatever's needed in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.